world I got tangled up in that. Y'all are far enough away from me that maybe I won't spit on you this morning as, as I'm trying to preach. Some are having difficulty hearing, and so I'm going to remove that. Of course, last week I had a my watch kept going off. It kept telling me to breathe, breathe, breathe. So we're going to try to accomplish two things this morning. We're so glad that you're here and we appreciate your presence so much. I know that it's hard in times like these to, to, to wear masks and things like that. And we're doing our best to try to keep each other safe. And so that's the Christian thing to do. That's what the Lord would have us to do. And so we want to continue to do that to the best of our ability. Now I want you to... I want you to go back and I want you to think about the, uh, the fact that uh, sometimes young people look at other young people and they say, I found the one. I found the one who is, who is uh, going to be my future husband. And so we're going to imagine this morning that we find a, a girl who has found the one, the boy, that she thinks is just going to be her future husband. She just knows that within her heart. And so... He takes her home to meet his parents, and they have that awkward meal together, and, and you know, they have a, an awkward conversation during the meal, and so all of that is going on, and after the meal, the, the girl, she helps clean the table, and, and then she and the boy's mother, they go and sit down. Now, I don't know if they still have, you know, the old-fashioned uh, photo albums, but maybe she just pulls out her phone, and she starts showing pictures of that boy as he is growing up. Now she shows the first birthday and she shows him with with his uh, two front teeth missing, you know, he, he, he's waiting to have his uh, two front teeth for Christmas and, and she shows him in his T-ball uniform and, and you know what, his hat and those T-ball uniforms, that hat is so big that it just fell down over his ears and, and she took the picture anyway and then the mother, you know, she shows the boy in his awkward stage in, in, in uh, junior high. And, and then she shows him in his, uh, uh, his football uniform. And, 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 you know, she just goes through that whole range of pictures. And that little girl, she's sitting over there. That, that lady that thinks she's going, she says she has found the one. She thinks that's so precious. You know, she sees all those pictures and it's just so precious as she sees all of those things. Well, you know what? She saw the pictures, but she didn't see the little boy when he was growing up. She didn't see him in reality and all of the things that, uh, that he was doing at that time. But she saw, she saw the pictures. And you know what? As we look into the Bible, we can see some pictures from the past as well. Now, what I want us to do this morning is to think about that and I want us to go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and verse number 1. The Bible says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Now, now let's focus on the first part of that verse. For since the law has but a shadow... Now that's the picture from the past. That, that is the thing that we see in the past. When we go to the Old Testament uh, law, we see that there were things that were done that would foreshadow or picture something that would come later on. And then not only that, let's go to the book of Sept or Colossians rather, chapter 2, and look at verses 16 and 17. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you, 
in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Those were things in the Old Testament law. Uh, he goes on and says, these are a shadow of the things to come. Now remember in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 1, we read about the shadow, but, but Paul is going to tell us about some of the shadows that we see in the Old Testament. Now, continue looking there at, at uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance... The substance. What does the word substance, translated substance here mean? Well, you might be interested to know that the word literally means the body. Uh, it's a word that means body. Or in, uh, uh, in other words, the reality of something. And so the body or the reality belongs to Christ. And so in other words, some of those things that we see in the Old Testament... Some of those shadows that we see, some of those pictures of the past that we see in the Old Testament are really and truly pictures of Jesus as He is coming uh, or as He was prophesied and He would come to be in reality. And so this morning, that's one, or one thing that we want to talk about. One of those pictures, one of those shadows, you saw the title of our lesson, Christ our Passover. And so we want to go back and we want to think about that and we want to see how that was the shadow, that was a picture of Jesus as He came. Now remember, this year we have 2020 vision and our 2020 vision is to focus clearly on Jesus. And we want to see Him in His reality. And so we go back to the Old Testament and we see some of the things in regard to Him. Now let's think about the Passover itself. In Exodus chapter 12, we have the institution of the Passover. We're not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to pick out three verses. In verse number 5 of Exodus chapter 12, the Bible says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And then in verse number 7 of Exodus chapter 12, we have this. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And then finally, drop on down to verse number 46. And in verse 46, the Bible says, It shall be eaten, that is, that lamb that has been killed. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. And you shall not break any of its bones. And so we look at those things and we see those things and we read those things and we understand their instructions to the, to, to the people in the Old Testament, to, to those who are under the Mosaic Law. But you know what? When I see those passages, when I see those things, it raises within me some why questions. You know, for example, right here at verse 46, uh, you're not to break any of its bones. Why? Well, as we look at that and we think about it this morning and we see the picture that it's painting for us, uh, a past picture of something that would happen, something that would be, then we see all of these things fulfilled in Christ. Okay, so let's go a little farther and think about the Passover, examine it just a little bit, and, and see how it relates to Christ. Now again, in Exodus chapter 12, at verse 5, we read just a minute ago, your lamb shall be without blemish. Now when we think about that lamb that was taken, he said either from the sheep or from the goats, it's still a lamb, and they knew that. 
But when we turn to the New Testament and when we begin reading in John chapter 1, as the one who came to announce the way of the Messiah is preaching to people, one day he sees Jesus walking by. And the Bible says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why did John call Jesus a lamb? Is it because, you know, he's going to, uh, that he's so gentle and so mild and so dependent on someone else? Well, the answer to that is no. John, by inspiration, calls Jesus the Lamb of God because He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. But you know what? As we think about that Lamb, that Lamb is representative, if you will, in part, of the Passover Lamb. Now look at another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, at verse number 7. Paul the Apostle writes and says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, watch this, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And so we have Paul identifying Jesus as a lamb, but he also says that he's not just any lamb from the flock. He is the Passover lamb. And so when we read in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12 at verse number 5, about that lamb, we see a picture of Jesus. A picture that would take place many hundreds of years later, but we have that picture of Jesus. And so, when we turn then to passages like the one in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, we better understand these words. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Like a lamb. And so, when we go back to Exodus chapter 12 at verse 5, we read about that lamb. And John identifies Jesus as the lamb. And Paul says he is our Passover lamb. And Peter says that he is the lamb whose blood takes away our sin. But not only do we see in, in, in the Passover the, the lamb that was to be killed, notice also that it was to be a lamb of the first year. A year old, English Standard Version says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. Now why in the world would you take the lamb that was a year old? Why would God specify that it would be a year old? Well, in reality, what he is saying is this. That lamb was to be in the prime of its life. The prime of its life. Not just a little bitty baby lamb, but a lamb in the prime of its life. Now think about that in relation to Jesus. Jesus was not offered as a sacrifice for sin as an infant. Now remember, Herod tried to kill him, right? When he was an infant, when he was a baby... Herod tried to kill him. He may have been as much as two years old, but he was a defenseless little baby. And he would have been sinless. He would have been a sinless sacrifice, but he wouldn't have been the perfect sacrifice. But also remember that Jesus was not crucified. He did not become that sacrifice until he was about 33 years old 
being in the prime of his life. Now, thinking about Jesus being in the prime of his life, one of the things that comes to my mind in, in regard to that is found in the book of Mark chapter 11. In verses 15 through 17, we find Jesus, after he has ridden into Jerusalem on that, on that donkey, on, on what we know as, uh, as the triumphal entry, and he, everyone has called him, has says, uh, you know, he is the king of the Jews, and, and, and they cried hallelujah and so forth. Well, the Bible says there in Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17, and they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? Now, now, how is that saying something about Jesus being in the prime of His life? I would suggest to you it would take much of a man to go in and begin to do what Jesus did. And we understand that He had the power of God. He could have just made Him disappear if that was His intention, if that's what He had wanted to do. But notice that He begins to drive them out. He didn't just walk up to them meekly and say, would y'all please leave? The Bible says he drove them out. He overturned the tables of the money changers. One thing that's particularly striking to me is the fact in verse number 16, he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. <laughs> they began to grab their stuff up and maybe begin to run and Jesus made them put it down, made them stop, made them not go through the temple. He had that power to do that. But I would suggest to you that not only did he have the power of God behind him, but he was in the prime of his life. Sometimes we get a picture of Jesus in our mind that he is just this neat little guy. But remember his occupation. Remember how he grew up. He is called... Not just the son of the carpenter, but the carpenter. And they didn't have the latest tools like we have. If they had to cut a piece of wood, they cut it either with a saw or they cut it with, a, with an axe or something of that nature. And it was a whole lot harder than it is today to do carpenter work. And even today, though, those, those guys who do carpenter work, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty styled, aren't they? But as we look at Jesus, he seems to be in the prime of his life. So was that lamb a year old. But let's go farther. Look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 5 again. The Bible says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of a year old, and you might take it from the sheep or from the goats. Notice that we're taught that this lamb was to be without blemish. Without blemish. Look at Luke chapter 23, verse 14. He said to them, You brought me this man as one who has, was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. 
This is Pilate speaking as he is examining Jesus. I did not find anything that this man has done wrong. Pilate, of course, pronounces him innocent, as we noticed here. And, and so we have not only uh, that, but if we go farther, we look at the book of John, chapter 19, in verse number 6. The Bible says, When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. You see, two times we see Pilate pronouncing Jesus guiltless. We find two times he's saying this man has no blemish within him. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. We're directly told he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Notice 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 that we read just a minute ago. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, what? Without blemish or spot. Just like that Passover lamb that we read about back in Exodus chapter number 12. That's who Jesus was. So we have that picture in the past of Jesus in the future. Jesus now in our past, but when it was uh, written in, in the book of Exodus chapter 12, it was yet in the future. And so we have that. Okay? Now here's another one. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 12 and look at verse number 3. This is interesting, so we'll put it together. The Bible says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Now, what we want to focus on right now is the first part of that verse. Notice what he says. Take that lamb on what day? The tenth day of the month. Now look at verse number 6. And you shall keep it, still talking about that lamb, you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Take it on the tenth, keep it to the fourteenth. Uh, you are to set that lamb apart for those days. Depending on how you count it, they would have counted it the 10th, the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, and the 14th. They would have counted it five days. But now, how does that relate to Jesus? Well, let's go to the New Testament. John chapter 12 at verse number 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, and whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Six days before the Passover. But now look at John chapter 12 and verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now this is the week that Jesus is going to be crucified. But five days before... He himself is hailed as the king. He is set apart as the king. And basically held that way as the king until the Pharisees and these other ungodly Jewish leaders stirred up the people so that they would cry, crucify him, crucify him. And so again, we have another picture of Jesus. 
Uh, not only that, but think about this one again in Exodus chapter 12, verse 6. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now focus on uh, this part of the verse this time. The whole assembly was to kill their lambs. Now let's go to the New Testament, book of Luke chapter 23, verse 13. The Bible says, Pilate then called together, now watch who all he called together. He called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. He called who together? He called the whole assembly together. Look at verse 18 of Luke chapter 23. But they all cried to out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. They all cried out. Look at uh, verse 21. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! And then in verse 23, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. Who was doing that? Well, the chief priests were. The rulers of the people were. And the people themselves were. Just like in the Old Testament Passover, the whole congregation was to sacrifice, to, to, to kill their lamb as it were. So it was the whole congregation cried out for the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, to be crucified. Pictures from the past. Here, here's another one. Go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 6 again. We're going we're gonna, to uh, hurry along here. Notice what he says there. You shall... Keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now you say, well, Jesus was put on the cross in the morning. He stayed there until about 3 o'clock. And so how does this relate to anything in the New Testament? Well, let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since, he, uh, since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, the twilight of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The end of the ages. Not at the end of the day, but at the end of the ages. Here's another one. I said we're going to move pretty quickly. Look at verse 46 again. It shall be eaten in the house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. John chapter 19, verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they didn't break any of his bones. They didn't break his legs like they did the other two. Then again in verse 36. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled, not... One of his bones will be broken. Now David had told us about that in Psalm 34, verse 20. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. But that was pictured for us in the Passover land. Nothing was to be broken. Here again, Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, 
and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, the blood was to prevent God's wrath against those who are of the land. That's what we find in verses 12 and 13. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath to come. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many times do we read that passage? Verse 24 goes on and says, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. Just as God passed over the the Israelites who had the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, God passes His wrath over us when He sees that we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. As we close our lesson today, have you covered the doorpost and the lintel of your house in the blood of Jesus? That's the real question. If we look back, back at Jesus as being a picture, or the Passover as being a picture of Jesus, then we shouldn't just look at the pictures and forget what they're all about. We need some blood covering us. In the book of Romans chapter 5, verse number 9, since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We need some blood for ourselves, but how do we get it? Look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and washed us from our sins by His blood. How do we become covered in the blood of Jesus? Well, we're washed in it. But how is that, how is that possible? Notice the word wash. Look at the book of Acts 22, verse 16. To get our sins gone, how do we do that? How do we contact that blood? And now, why do you wait? This is Ananias talking to Saul. Why do you wait? Rise. Be baptized. And wash away your sins. Calling on His name. How is... Saul to wash his sins away in baptism. What's the significance of that? It's in the blood of Jesus that our sins are washed away, right? But according to the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it's when we're buried with Christ in baptism that we're buried into His death. When we're buried into His death, that's where we contact that blood that covers our sins. 
We can't just take some of it and swipe it like they did. God made a way for us to be covered by the blood. But He talked about it a long, long time before. Oh yeah, our 2020 vision is to see Jesus more clearly. But you know what? When we go back to the Old Testament, we look at some of those pictures, we see Him so much better. Do you need to be washed in His blood today? If you do, you can be baptized for the remission of your sins because of your faith in Christ, your willingness to repent, and your willingness to make the great confession. It may be today that something is amiss in your life and you need to make that right. Why don't you do that? Right now, together we stand and sing. Amen.